Greetings, greetings, greetings. Today we're getting into chapter 14 of a Benny song written by P. Jelly Clark. The Veil of Lost Things. The Veil. What is a veil? I believe that's a valley. Let me double check. Veil. And it's, spe- it's spelled V-A-L-E. So, let me type in veil definition. Um, definition. Definition. Okay. Veil definition. Come up. A valley used in place of names or as a poetic term. Okay. Okay. I can see why writers would say the veil <laughs> of lost things rather than the valley because of the dramatic effect. Veil, uh, a written or spoken farewell. Oh, that's another way to say farewell. So a valley. Ah, very good writing. Very use. Very good use of language. Double entendre. So it's a veil. A veil. The veil of lost things. So it's like a valley. And it's also a farewell. Because if you're in that valley, you're saying farewell to everything else. Let's just get into it and then see what the writer had in mind for the veil of lost things. Abeni was still screaming, clutching to her staff as she tumbled. Her arms reached out frantically for something to hold, but there was only air. She was falling, and there was nothing she could do. She took in a gulp of air and was set to scream again when a pink mist suddenly surrounded her. Got you, someone said, and then they both disappeared. Abeni realized she wasn't falling anymore. Instead, she floated in a place of swirling pink mist, wherever this was, The scent of flowers was overwhelming. She remained there for a moment, then abruptly she was on solid ground again, back where she'd fallen. Stumbling, she managed to stay on her feet, moving away from the edge of the crevice. She looked to Naomi in shock. The porcupine girl hadn't just become invisible. She had jumped somehow from one place to another and back again, plucking her right out of the air. How'd you do that? Amani asked. Naomi stared back at her, just as stunned. I don't know. Prickly has surprises, Asha said, hugging Abani tight. Why have all of you stopped running? They looked to find Zania changed back to a panther girl and gesturing behind them. The bush babies were still in pursuit and nearly on top of them. All three cried out before bounding away. They ran, catching up to Zania. She led them through bushes and beneath fallen trees, anything to throw their pursuers off. But the bush babies kept coming, biting and ripping through dead wood or shrubs to get to them. Wherever they were now, 
It was filled with tall, twisted trees with even more twisted roots snaking in every direction, making them easy to trip over. The ground had turned soft and squishy, making it hard to run. Then abruptly they came to a stop as Ania suddenly halted. Catching up to the panther girl, they soon realized why. There was no more ground. Abeni peered over a ledge that dropped away into white mist. Turning back around, she found the bush babies still coming, teeth and eyes gleaming greedily. They'll be on us soon, Zania said. She had changed back to her panther girl from form, and her sides heaved with her panting. Abeni's mind raced. She peered back over the ledge. It was another one of those crevices so wide she couldn't make out the other side. Naomi, can you do that thing again? Jump us all out of here. I don't know how, the porcupine girl said, her frightened eyes locked on the approaching bush babies. When I did it before, I was scared for you. Now I'm too scared to do anything. Abeni sighed. Asha, do you have any magic? Anything that can help us? The little girl looked up fearfully, shaking her head. Oh, my magic got burnt up in the fire. At her words, Abeni had a sudden memory. Not all of it. Thinking of what she wanted, she pushed a hand into her bag and pulled out three stones. One blue, one red, and one gold. The last bits of Asha's magic that the scrying pot had made her take. It had said she would know when to use them. If anyone is going to do something now, now would be good. Now would be good, Zania shouted. Abeni looked at the panther girl. The cat will help. That's what the scrying pot had said. It didn't make any sense at the time, but here was a cat. Zania, she thrust the stones forward. Which one? What? Which one do I use? The scrying pot said you would know. Zania glared as if Abeni were crazy. Abeni looked up to find the bush babies almost upon them. Their hungry cries and wailing were deafening. Now, Zania, pick one. This doesn't make any sense. That doesn't matter. Just pick one, Zania growled. Fine, then, blue. Turning, Abeni hoisted the blue stone in her hand, not certain how to use it, but as the first bush babies to reach them leapt forward, she wound her arm back and threw the stone at them. It sailed through the air, striking the closest bush baby right on the nose, then exploded. A cloud of shimmering blue dust filled the air, covering the bush babies, and then there were flowers. In a series of small pops, blue flowers sprouted from the bush babies. Pop, pop, pop. They grew on their arms. Pop, pop, pop. They came out of their ears. Pop, pop, pop. They even pushed up from their open mouths. The closest bush babies to them turned completely to flowers. They landed just at their feet, taking root in the moist ground. Everywhere there was popping as the bush babies became flowers. Some fell right where they stood. Others drifted off with the wind. Soon they were gone entirely, leaving a blanket of flowers that grew up alongside the twisted trees. The four girls gazed up in wonder as a shower of blue petals fell all around them.
Sasha whispered. Abaini nodded her agreement. Carefully, she placed the remaining stones back into the bag as everyone let out long sighs of relief. That was close, Naomi said. I hope that's all the excitement we'll... Abeni never heard what the porcupine girl said next because she was gone in an instant. That was odd because there wasn't any pink mist. Zania looked up confused, but then she was gone too with a yelp. Abeni looked at her feet. They were sinking into the moist ground that she could now see was mud. This whole area was mud. And she realized the others hadn't vanished. They'd fallen. She only had time to lift Asha into her arms before the ledge of mud and roots under her feet broke away, taking her with it. The world turned upside down as they fell. Several times, Abani tumbled head over heels, carried along by a river of mud. She held tight to Asha, though she couldn't tell if the little girl was screaming or laughing. The jutting roots of trees and vines poked and scratched her all over. It seemed they fell forever before finally there was nothing but air. She glided for a moment and then landed with a thick splash. Abani lifted her head, spitting out mud. She looked around to find Asha sitting nearby, a bright smile on her muddy face. Somehow, impossibly, her long, thick locks remained clean, with not so much as a speck on them. Again, again, the girl cried, clapping. Abeni rose up fully, checking herself. Nothing appeared broken, though she felt battered enough. She was covered in mud. In fact, she was sitting in mud. It was surprisingly warm, even somewhat comfortable. But it was still mud. She wiped some from her face and turned to find the others. Naomi waved to her, caked in so much mud it was hard to make out the girl beneath. Zania was just getting up, growling irritably as mud dripped from her arms and legs. She shook fitfully, trying to get it off. Both looked unharmed, though very dirty. Abeni reached around, managing to find her wide-brimmed wooden hat and her staff. She pushed up to her feet and peered around. There was mud as far as she could see, though that wasn't very far because a hazy white mist blanketed everything like a cloud on land. Looking down, she realized it came out of the mud, which bubbled and burped. Excuse you... Asha said as a brown bubble burst noisily. What happened? Naomi asked, shaking mud from her quills. We fell, Abeni said. She looked up but could only see the roots of trees in the mist. A long way, too. They were likely at the bottom of one of those crevices. I should have known, Zania growled, trying to walk in the oozing mud. I should have known something like this would happen by myself. 
I never had these kinds of problems. But I join up with a dancing porcupine and a mortal too stupid to stay away from bush babies. And I end up. She flung out her arms at the expanse of mud. I end up in this. Benny flinched. Stung. She already felt guilty as it was. I'm not stupid, she said tightly. I didn't know what that thing was. So you walk up to it, the panther girl asked, and stick your face close? Maybe all mortals aren't stupid. Maybe just you. Abeni's face grew hot. She stomped over to the panther girl, though in the mud that took a lot of effort. Spirit or not, she wasn't going to be talked to like that. If I remember right, she said, someone, not a mortal, was stupid enough to get caught in a trap over some goats. A rumble sounded in Zania's throat, but Abini pressed on, heedless. If I also remember right, I got you out of that trap. And just now, I saved our lives, but as usual, you've been nothing but ungrateful, so maybe the only stupid thing I've done was inviting you to come along. Zania leaned forward, her teeth bared, and what a fine idea that was. You think I didn't hear what that bush baby said? That you keep a banner with the single flame? When you invited me along, you didn't say the witch priest was after you. Her eyes narrowed. Who are you, really? What was all of that about everyone in your village being taken away? What secrets are you keeping from us? She gestured to Asha. Why is this little spirit being hunted? What kind of trouble are you getting me into? Abeni clenched her jaw tight. I told you what you needed to know, she said flatly. If you don't like it, you can go off on your own. That way we won't have to listen to you complain. Zania growled openly now and stepped forward, burning eyes peeking from between a tangle of muddied locks. The panther girl was tall, and there were those claws, not to mention she was a spirit. But Abeni wasn't about to back down. She bent her neck to meet that orange gaze. The two stood glaring at each other for a long while before someone finally spoke. That way, they turned to find Asha staring into the mist. It's where we need to go. Both looked at her for a while. Finally, Abeni pulled away. The panther girl wasn't worth her time. Taking Asha by the hand, she stalked off. Well, tried to stalk, but with all the mud, she just ended up kind of trudging. Naomi soon followed, casting glances back to Zania, who stayed where she was, her orange gaze still smoldering. The panther girl became a faint figure in the mist before she began to trail behind them. 
Their walk through the mud was a quiet one. Even Naomi was silent for once. Abani was still angry at the panther girl, yes, but also at herself. Zania, rude and irritating as she was, had also been right. She'd woken that bush baby up. She should know better than to poke around at strange things in the forest. That wasn't even the worst of it. The bush baby's words kept playing in her head. Do you know he's looking for you? She shuddered. Ugh. Her eyes went to Asha, who walked along humming lightly. She was supposed to be her guardian against this witch priest or whatever he sent for them. What if those bat riders were looking for them too? Or worse, that shadow thing. All her doubts hit her all at once. The old woman had placed so much responsibility on her. How could she possibly live up to it? Putting her head down, she trudged along glumly through the mud and mist, feeling as if she carried a heavy weight on her shoulders. Shoulders. Things got no better as the day wore on. Mud sucked and oozed at their feet. If you stood too long in one spot, you sank and had to work hard to get back out. The mist didn't help either. It was thick to breathe, hot and muggy. Worse, there didn't look to be any end in sight, like the whole world had become mud. It was getting late when Abani stared up at the sky. She couldn't make out the sun through the mist, but she could tell there was only a little daylight left. If they didn't reach solid ground soon, they'd be forced to walk through the night because trying to rest on oozing mud would be impossible <laughs> Why they'd sink right into it. Her rumbling belly reminded her they had little food left as well. And out here, she doubted they'd find anything more. Stopping, she waited for the others. Naomi walked up, dried mud caking her quills. Zania lingered quietly some ways off, still not speaking. Realizing she'd have to talk first, Abeni voiced her concerns. And that's where we are, she finished. No one said anything. I think we should keep walking, she offered. Maybe we'll find. She trailed off as Naomi's large pupils widened and she let out a sharp squeak. She turned to Zania. The panther girl's eyes were wide as well, her jaw slack. She quickly realized they weren't looking at her, but past her. Turning, she followed their gazes until her own eyes rounded. There was something rising out of the mud, something big. Its massive body was covered in the oozing muck as if it was made of the stuff. Thick legs rose into view, four in all, and a fifth limb that had to be a tail. An immense head with a long snout was soon visible and it turned to regard them. Abeni and the three spirits with her 
got way more than they bargained for when (laughs) she touched what she wasn't supposed to touch. And you can't just think, oh, I got my spirits with me, so I'm gone automatically. Ain't nothing is automatic because there's all kinds of spirits and there's all kinds of energies. And yeah, they got together and saved each other from the Bush babies. Um, they had some of that leftover magic from Asha's house, home. Um, but that environment that's off their path they were on a path she got off her path got into something she wasn't supposed to get into and now they chased them off their path so now they've been rerouted you know how your GPS for those who use um, GPS lead you in a certain way and you be like "Um, oh I know a better way and then you just get off your path. You eventually, I've gotten off the path before. Let's say I'll use myself, <laughs> not speaking for others. But I've gotten off the path before. And eventually, I get to my destination. But it, I've been so lost. Being the veil, the veil of the lost. I've been so lost that, okay, I live in the Carolinas here in um America and in certain places in the south there's not a lot of gas stations and things open at night and there's not a lot of um lights street lights it's rural rural I can't say that word very well rural area like farmlands and all that stuff right so at night you want to stick to the highways because there's lights if you get off at a certain exit there's um gas stations or whatever you may need bathroom stop or something like that right but if there's traffic um i think it was early morning it wasn't that i was out at late at night it was early morning and it was dark so nope let me get the story right i was getting off work at night and it was very dark and there had been a crash a late night crash that backed up traffic so far I mean traffic was standstill at night and I had just gotten off of a 12 hour shift I was so tired I was like I know how to take a short I'm gonna get on the next exit so I get off ignoring the GPS Get off. I'm going to go my own. I know how to. Child. Oh, God. And I was low on gas. So it was terrifying out there, you know. Dark. Low on gas. Not knowing. Not being able to see with my, my physical eyes what was next in front of me. But. My spirit guides got me to where I needed to be. Got me to where I needed to be. And I made it safely to my destination, but not before being like a little bit terrified, (laughs) a little lost. 
and in danger, in actual danger, because it didn't have to turn out that way. Um, did I have a phone charger? I think it was even a time, it was a time before I got the phone charger in my car. So then you, phone dying, ain't no gas, da 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 but I found my way. But it could it could have gotten uglier than that. So there's no guarantees. That's why we have to be particular about our choices, how we're moving. You know, we got to be smart about how we're caring for ourselves, how we're moving, what we're touching to, what we're getting, um, what we're allowing to touch us, you know? So now they're off their path. They're in this mud and, um, they don't know where the mud ends. And now something is rising up out the damn mud. And thankfully, there's four of them and they stuck together. But they almost, because everything they're going through, you know, when you're going through trials and tribulations, that's when friendships, all kinds of relationships, even family gets tested when things get hard, when you're stuck in the mud, when you're in the valley, in the veil, dramatic effect, in the veil of lost things. That's when relationships get tested because it's hard. And you start questioning everything. And you start bringing up hurtful things like Zania brought up what the Bush baby said. And, you know, Zania started, not Zania, Abani started questioning herself because she was keeping secrets. Like, why she really wanted to go find Asha's sister. Not only just for Asha to, to, you know, have somebody to care for her. But also, so she could find out who these, who the goat, more about the goat man, more about the witch priest, more about the ghost ships, and go save her people. Because she just knew she was going to save her people. And so that's her ultimate reason for going, even suggesting Asha's sister. And also, she didn't really want the, the responsibility of Asha, although this journey is building that up in her, this journey that she's taking, the journey that they're all taking. We, thankfully, they got each other because it's about to go down. Something rising up out the mud. Oh, let's see what it is. Abeni stared up at the thing, too stunned to even cry out. It looked like a lizard, the size of an elephant, dripping in mud. The only parts not covered were its eyes, two clear pearls on either side of its head that reflected their images like mirrors. The giant mud lizard looked down at them, opening its mouth to show sharp teeth, gleaming like knives. Abeni had seen enough. Pushing Asha behind her, she lifted her staff and struck out, hoping to drive the thing back. Only the wood went right through its body. The mud swallowed her arm up to the elbow. She tugged hard, trying to get free, but neither the staff nor her arm was coming back out. A roar announced Zania at her side. 
The panther girl slashed claws into the thing's flank, but her hands passed right through too, sticking in the oozing mud. The two girls struggled to break free, but the more they fought, the deeper into the creature's body they went. Tiring, Abeni released a ragged breath. The giant lizard moved its head closer to Zania, sniffing her through muddy nostrils. Sticking out a long pink tongue, it licked the panther girl, leaving her dripping in gooey, warm saliva. Ugh! She growled in disgust, twisting away from another lick. Naomi, who remained with Asha, shrieked in terror. It's tasting her! He's doing no such thing, someone chided. Everyone jumped, startled at the voice. Leaning to one side, they all looked past the creature to find a man, or at least a man's head, small and brown and framed by curly black hair showing bits of white. At first glance, Abeni feared they had come across a talking head like she'd heard about in stories in her village. Then she saw wriggling brown toes farther away. The man was lying in the mud, buried in it almost completely. He beamed up at them with a pleasant smile. Is this your monster? Zania asked hotly. Monster? <laughs> the man chuckled. Moshi is no monster. He's a friend and quite harmless. He turned to the mud lizard. Let them go, Moshi. I don't think they want to play. The mud lizard <clears throat> sounded a rumbling bellow like disappointment before puffing up and pushing outward. The two girls went stumbling back, freed from the oozing thing. The man rose from the mud. He was small, Abaney noticed, no taller than most of them. His entire body was covered in mud including a long cloth wrapped about his waist. Don't all of you look a sight, he remarked. Been walking the mud sea long? Abeni nodded, eyeing the giant lizard warily. Did he say mud sea? Do you know how far it goes, uncle? The man picked bits of mud from his beard. Oh, forever, I think. Abeni frowned. Nothing goes on forever. Hmm... The man murmured, tell me, did you fall here somehow, <clears throat> maybe into a river or a deep hole? A crevice, she answered. The man nodded. Yes, that can happen too. Seeing their odd looks, he gestured about. Do you see the other side of this crevice? Do you think a whole sea of mud can fit into a crevice? A Benny wasn't sure what he was getting at. There has to be a way out, she insisted. There is, he replied. But you won't find it here. Where are we, uncle? What is this place? The man was climbing onto the mud lizard. Seating himself, he looked down. This is the mud sea. It surrounds the Vale of Lost Things. And if you don't mind me saying, the four of you look quite lost. Abeni looked at him perplexed. The veil of lost things? But we are not lost. The man lifted a muddy eyebrow. Hard to reach here, otherwise. We know where we're going, Abeni insisted. 
She looked to Asha. Don't we? The small girl nodded, gawping at the mud lizard. This is where we should be. Hmm, the man murmured again. Maybe you are lost on purpose. Either way, you'd best come with me then. Moshi's big enough to fit us all. Abani looked at the man uncertainly. It was a friendly offer, but she was wary about riding on a giant lizard with some stranger. She glanced to the others. Asha's dark eyes were locked on the mud lizard in fascination. I want to ride the big cow, she exclaimed. Salamander, the small man corrected with laugh. Moshi is a salamander. I want to ride the big salamander, Asha exclaimed. Abani looked again to the others. Naomi seemed wary, but she hadn't disappeared. Now she just shrugged. Zania stared at the giant salamander uncertainly, but she didn't say no either. Abani supposed she'd have to take that as agreement enough. The four managed to scramble onto the giant salamander's back. Their hands and feet seemed to stick into its muddy body as they climbed. When they were settled behind the small man, he gave a shrill whistle. With a lurch, the salamander took off at a scampering gallop across the mud, swinging its head and wide, flat tail from side to side. <clears throat> My name is Tutuo, the small man called back to them. Or at least that's the name I took. I didn't get yours. They each answered except Zania, who had to be prodded. Two spirits and a mortal girl, the man remarked. An odd pairing. Three spirits, Asha corrected between gleeful shrieks. <laughs> Three spirits, then, the man agreed. With another shrill whistle, he urged the giant salamander to run faster. Abeni clenched her teeth as they picked up speed. Beside her, Asha threw up her arms and whooped in delight. As she looked out at the drab landscape, Abeni wondered if they would ever stop seeing mud. As if in answer, the giant salamander banked suddenly to the right, heading for a thick cloud of mist. She inhaled as they pushed through it and then squinted in surprise at sunlight. <laughs> it was the sky. She was relieved to see it again. Even better, there was no more mud. They were on solid ground now, dark, rich soil. She glanced back to see the wall of mist swirling in their wake, then yelped as the giant salamander's body began changing beneath them. Brown mud vanished, becoming something darker. She ran her hands over it in surprise. The creature's body had changed into dark soil, like the ground they ran upon. Moshi is a mimic salamander, Tutuo remarked, catching their startled looks. He can become whatever he wishes, though most times he just takes on what's closest. As the salamander started climbing a set of big gray rocks, he did just that, turning to stone. Uncle, Abeni called, you said this was the Vale of Lost Things, but we were in a forest when we fell. How did we get here? I don't understand it all myself, he answered. Sometimes people and things just show up. 
even fall right out of the sky. But if they come here, they are certainly lost. Um, Uncle, Naomi asked, what's a veil? Tutu chuckled. You'll soon see. The giant salamander Moshi continued climbing the rocks, and when he reached the top, everyone's breath caught. Sloping down and spread out before them was what looked like a great bowl filled with lush grass, trees, and bushes. A large blue-green lake sat in its center, fed by a small waterfall. But it wasn't just the land. Scattered everywhere were an odd assortment of things. A bunch of woven baskets made a small hill. The curving red-painted wall of a house with no roof stood covered in a thicket of vines. What looked like a giant carving made of black stone of a woman's head lay almost buried on its side. There was more, including things Abeni couldn't put a name to. It reminded her of the rooms in Asha's house, and she wondered if somewhere here there might be a bunch of magic pots. Welcome to the Vale of Lost Things, Tutuo told them. You can get off here, though you might want to get out of all that mud. There are heaps of clothes down there you can rummage through. Sandals, too, though often there's only one side. Seems people don't lose their shoes in pairs. Isn't that odd? Anyway, water's good for swimming and cleaning. The giant salamander lowered its now grassy body and they climbed off. <clears throat> I live there, the small man gestured up, past a set of winding stone steps to where a piece of rocky green earth curved over the edge of the lake like a hook. At its tip sat a small round house with a pointed roof. It leaned slightly to the side. Be some food waiting if you like, he said warmly. I don't get too much company in the Vale. More things come here than people <laughs> or spirits. I'd welcome sharing a meal for some good stories. With a whistle, he was off, the giant salamander scampering up the winding path to his small home. The four girls watched him go. In a blink, they were dashing for the inviting waters of the lake, eagerly jumping in. Abani broke the lake's surface for about the third time, washing the last bits of mud from her hair. Tutuo hadn't been wrong. The water was great for swimming. Nearby, Asha helped clean Naomi's mini quills while Zania floated on her back. By the time they finished, they all looked and felt refreshed. Abani rested on some rocks, wiping her hair dry. She had changed into another dress, pulled from the bag, and had Asha do the same. <clears throat> Though there was indeed a nearby heap of clothes that she wanted to rummage through later, Asha was eyeing another heap made up completely of necklaces. A delightful scent drifted past them and Abeni inhaled deep. It was coming from Tutuo's small house. Clearing her throat, she got the other's attention. They hadn't really spoken much, not since her big argument with Zania. Now she was rested and clean, not to mention hungry. Their fight seemed distant and maybe silly. Despite their harsh words, the panther girl 
had been the first to run to her aid when they thought Moshi was a mud monster. One of them needed to be the first to talk. She wasn't about to apologize. They'd both said unkind things, but she could talk. We need to decide whether to go up there or not, she said. Do you think we can trust him? She directed her look to Zania, who lounged on a set of rocks, very much like a cat. <clears throat> the panther girl shrugged. I don't trust mortals. Most mortals. This one is friendlier than most, and that makes me trust him less. Of course, Abeni thought Riley. She looked to Naomi. The porcupine girl chewed her lip, glancing up at the small house and grimacing. I'm scared of heights, she said. Naturally. Still, Abeni needed some help here. After their run-in with the bush babies, she was uncertain about her own judgment. She leaned in towards Asha, who was collecting colorful stones. Do you think he's safe? she asked in a low voice. That bush baby said you were being hunted. What if this tutuo was sent by? No, the little girl cut in. I told you, this is where we're supposed to be. But we're lost, Abeni said, exasperated. This is a place for lost things. Asha looked around, and a great big smile spread on her small face. Exactly! Jumping up before Abeni could respond, she started up along the winding path towards the house. The three other girls exchanged gazes filled with unspoken questions, then got up and followed. Reaching the leaning house, they found a large straw mat spread out with bowls of food. <clears throat> Cooked fish, pounded yam, cut up fruit and more. The small man sat feeding a big yellow melon to the giant salamander. The salamander crushed it messily between its teeth, which were no longer sharp, but instead square blocks. They had both changed Tutuo into bright blue robes and Moshi into bright blue matching skin. Tutuo looked up and smiled at seeing them. Welcome, welcome, he gestured at the straw mat. Eat as much as you like. There's more than enough. You'd be surprised at the amount of food that comes here. <clears throat> Turning to Naomi, he offered a bowl heaped with wriggling things and colorful shells amid flower petals. <clears throat> I don't have many porcupine spirits visiting, but I couldn't help but notice. You wouldn't happen to be part hedgehog, would you? Naomi's eyes widened. My mother's father's mother was a hedgehog spirit. Aha, I guessed right then. I've managed to dig up some earthworms and lake snails. Hope you like them in flowers and honey. The girl squeed in delight. And for you, he offered another bowl to Zania. It was filled with what looked like cut up pieces of fish, sprinkled with green leaves and bits of rice. I don't eat burnt meat, she told him, sniffing at the bowl suspiciously. Oh, it's quite Unburnt, Tutu assured. Raw, in fact. I just added a few spices. The panther girl hesitated, but she eventually picked up a bit and plopped it in her mouth, chewing slowly. Her orange eyes lit up. Good, the man asked. She replied with vigorous nods. The four ate heartily, 
emptying their bowls and receiving seconds and thirds. When they finished, they lay about, rubbing plump stomachs. Above them, the sun had vanished and the first stars began appearing in the sky. The small man sat with them, leaning against the salamander and gazing up lazily at some buzzing fireflies like stars that had come down to be among them. Have you cast some spell on us? Naomi moaned, massaging her swollen belly, because I suddenly feel very sleepy. Tutu laughed. The only magic I know is in cooking, but I rarely get to share it. Where did you learn to do such things with fish? Zania asked. Most mortals can't enjoy meat until they've stuck it in some fire. I've traveled the world wide and far, the man said. You learned some things. You're not from this vale? Abeni asked. Tutuo shook his head. My home is far beyond this place, but I left it to see the world. I was gone a long time. I stayed among the mighty Zusa, the spirit bearers of the Southlands, and played their games of raiding cattle among one another. I saw with my own eyes the great kingships of the West and stood before the wondrous walls of Agadu itself. In the stone cities of the East, I met mystics who live in towers and who claim to have visited the flying people whose kingdom is said to float among the clouds. A dreamy look came into his eyes as he recounted his adventures. When I returned home, my people said I had grown odd, that I spoke of strange things and they didn't care for my new friend, he patted Moshi. So... I took a new name and began wandering again. Wasn't sure where I was going. One day, Moshi and I went swimming in a river, dived under the waters, and when we came up again, we were in the lake outside, right in this vale. Decided to stay. I suppose we were lost too. Lost too, Abeni thought. Like they had become lost. Only Asha said... They were meant to be here. The girl had crawled over and curled up beside Tutuo, playing absently with his bushy beard. Abeni gazed out across the darkening veil. It was beautiful. So, that's my story, Tutuo said. Who wants to go next? Naomi raised an eager hand and quickly launched into a tale. The porcupine girl told of getting separated from her family and meeting Abeni and everything that had happened since. The small man listened intently, stopping to ask questions and ooing and eyeing as Naomi gave vivid descriptions. He gasped at their run-in with the bush babies and cheered at their escape. When it was done, he leaned back and clapped. Well done, he exclaimed. You are an excellent storyteller. Naomi beamed at the compliment. Abeni thought it was the nicest thing you could possibly tell the girl. But she left out the best part, Sania complained. Oh, there's more? Tutuo asked. I would love to hear. The panther girl cleared her throat and began giving her own version of events. She wasn't as good a storyteller as Naomi. And she had a habit of making her own role appear very important. 
but when she finished, the man thanked her appreciatively. I've always found stories are best told from many sides, he remarked. Turning to Abani, he raised an eyebrow. And you, do you have a story you'd like to tell? Abani shook her head. Naomi and Zania had said it all well enough. You should sing your song, Asha suggested, playing absently with her locks. Abani went stiff, looking to the little girl in surprise. Had she just blurted that out? You have a song? Tutuo asked, seeming genuinely interested. Abani wasn't certain what to say. Her song was her story, her people's story. She didn't know that she wanted to share it. I haven't sung it in a long time, she said. I might not even remember it. I'm sure you remember it, Asha said, her eyes locked on Abani, looking every bit as sharp as the old woman's. Songs and stories aren't riches to be locked away. Sometimes it helps to share. Or we carry our burdens all by ourselves. Abani found everyone was staring at her, waiting. Their expectant faces made her mouth go dry. Her chest felt suddenly tight and it was like she couldn't breathe. She wanted to be somewhere else, anywhere but here. But Asha's words played in her head like roots digging into soil. Sometimes it helps to share or we carry our burdens all by ourselves. That's what she'd been doing. Even after meeting Naomi and Zania, she hadn't shared much about herself. Maybe it was time to see what happened, if she did. Beginning was hard. The first few words were harder. It had been so long. But the more she went on, the more it all came back. The tightness in her chest loosened and she could breathe again, taking deep breaths as she sang. The Veil of Lost Things so that's where when your when your socks get separated and you only find one, that's where it goes. If you lose a shoe and and one earring for for women who wear the two earrings or anything, like the little things that get lost, the big things, the, the lost things. Um there was a a childhood movies to be it's a movie The Lost Things. The Island of Misfits. <laughs> That's where Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer used to go. Um, not used to go, but he ended up there at some point along his journey. So, yeah. Getting lost is, is part of the journey sometimes. So, figuring stuff out. Getting off the path, whether it's on purpose or off purpose. It just It happens. And um, it took that for her to recognize that she hadn't 
tapped in to the power of friendship and she hadn't shared her story with her friends. She knew what happened with um, Asha, of course, because she was there when it happened. She knew what happened with Naomi because, you know, Naomi told her her story. Naomi loves telling her story. And um, she invited Naomi along their journey. She knew what happened with Zania because Zania shared her story too. But she hadn't allowed herself to be vulnerable. And that's not easy. But clearly, as part of her journey, her journey, telling her story is an important part. It's an important part of her survival. It's an important part of the power that resides within her own personal spirit. And um, telling the story is, well, in the way of her cultural way of telling her story, her oriki as it is known in real life, um, is powerful. And it may just help them find their way out of the veil of lost things if they so choose because it sounds really comfortable there they have everything they need they have food they have friendship they have um comfortable clothing they can stay clean um so it sounds kind of comfortable there i hope hopefully it's not too comfortable but um let's see what happens when she tells her story when she's open about her story I wonder what kind of doors it will open for them she sang she sang of her village she sang of her people she sang of the day of the storm women and how she came to live with the old woman She sang of the night of the shadow thing and how the Asha they knew now came to be. Then she sang of meeting Naomi and Zania and even added new verses about a small man and a giant salamander. When she finished, she looked up to find everyone quiet. Naomi's black eyes glistened. Even Zania looked on in wonder. Now that is a story, Tutuo whispered. Abeni, I never knew, Naomi said. Why didn't you tell us? She shook her head. I don't know. I wasn't sure what you would think of me. Zania frowned. Why should we think less? It is quite a tale. She paused as if catching herself. For a mortal. Abeni looked to the panther girl, stunned. Had Zania just given her a compliment? Tutuo offered a warm smile. Sometimes we shouldn't face the hardest things alone. As the small one said, sometimes 
Sharing helps, yes? He looked down. Eh, seems someone's had a long day. They followed his gaze to Asha, who lay sleeping. I know I said I could show you the way out, but no sense wandering now. Not at night. Sleep and stay the morning, or as long as you like. Abani looked to the others. I can't walk another step with this full belly, Naomi yawned. I'm sleepy too, Abani admitted. Zania grunted. Panther spirits can travel day or night, but if the two of you are tired, I could use the time to get some rest. Abani supposed that settled it. She turned to Tutuo. We'd happily accept your offer to stay here, uncle, until morning. He smiled at them. Until morning, then. That night, they slept as they often did, under the stars. Naomi curled up in a ball of quills in the cool grass, while Zania climbed a tree and sprawled out on a branch as a panther. Abeni and Asha slept on blankets, pressed up against Moshi, who transformed into something soft and plush. It was the best sleep Abeni had had in a long time. They ended up staying that morning, the next morning after that, and yet a third. Each day they got up and thought about leaving, but managed to find a reason to stay. It was raining. There was some new part of the veil to see. Tutuo's fabulous cooking. The small man seemed happy to have them. By day, he showed them about. Sometimes they helped him fish or gather plants, or they just lay around lazily, exploring heaps of lost things. Their favorite pastime was playing a game where they got Moshi to turn into everything from gold to pure fire. At night, they sat while Tutuo smoked from a long pipe and told fantastic stories from his travels of kingdoms that rose out of the sand. <clears throat> Ghost villages, talking skulls, babies that sprouted out of thumbs, and other bizarre things. On their fourth day, as Abani sat on a rock by the lake, Tutuo came to sit beside her. Not going in, he asked. In a while, she said, watching Zania splash through the water as a panther chasing Asha, who squealed and laughed. Moshi rose up in the middle of them, his body made of blue liquid, upending a shrieking Naomi in the process. Abani laughed. They're so silly, Tutuo chuckled. No more than I was as a child. Abani looked to him. But, Uncle, they're not really children. I mean, they're spirits, much older than me. He nodded. Older than me, even. Then why do they act so much like children? She'd wondered that for a while, but it seemed rude to ask Naomi and Zania. Besides, Tsutsuo had traveled all over and knew lots of things. Because in a way they are, he replied. Spirits are eternal, in a sense. 
they can die, yes, but not like you and me. And they live many of our lifetimes. Their emotions are strong and they feel with every part of their being. So if they appear as children, they will act very much that way, even if they've seen a hundred harvest seasons. I've any thought on that. Asha was an old woman for a long time. Now she's young. And she told me she's been young before. Yes, yeah, said Tutuo. He looked down to Asha, who had hopped onto Moshi's back. That one may look young, but her eyes say otherwise. What kind of spirit is she? Abeni asked. The others aren't sure. <clears throat> Tutuo spoke. Hard to say. I have encountered many spirits in my travels. Some smaller than ants, others big as mountains. You can never tell just by looking at them. Asha told me that this witch priest wants people to turn away from the spirits, Abeni said. That he's come to free us from them. Tutuo was quiet for a long time before speaking. Some people worship spirits. Some call on them. Some even seek to control them. Spirits, of course, have their own will, ignoring mortals altogether or involving themselves in our lives for good or ill. I have not ventured back into the world and know nothing of this witch priest or his war. But it seems wrong-minded to me to turn away from the spirits. They keep the balance between things. Some say it is the spirits who made people, given that task by the gods. They were our first teachers, showing us how to plant to sing and to laugh, a world without them would be a sad and lonely one. Habani tried to find some truth in his words, yet as she thought of her village, her mood grew dark. My people called on the spirits often, but that didn't save them. Tutuo looked to her sadly. He didn't appear to have an answer for that. The world outside grows darker, he said. I can feel it, even here, in the things that come here. His eyes fixed hers with meaning. I have thought on your song. I believe I understand why you have set out to find Asha's sister. Someone as wise as the old woman who might know how to lead you to ghost ships. Storm women who carry fire in their eyes, men in goat horn masks, and stolen away children. Abani didn't answer, but he nodded as if she had. And whose idea was it to seek out this sister? The little spirits? Or yours? Her face felt suddenly hot. She started to speak, but Tutuo held up his hands. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you feel bad. Abeni looked to the lake where the others played. 
Are you going to tell them? It is not mine for the telling. But she turned to find him again, giving her that meaningful gaze. That little spirit is very attached to you. If you leave her with this sister to go your own way, hunting after ghost ships or the like, she will take it hard. A Benny sighed. I thought you weren't trying to make me feel bad. He offered a slight smile. Truly, I do not mean to. However, there is another choice. You and your friends don't have to venture out into the storm. You can stay here. No dark flyers or bats will ever haunt these skies. No shadows will enter this place, just lost things. Maybe that's why you were brought here. To give you a place where you can hide away from the ones who hunt you. Perhaps you should think on remaining lost. At least for a while longer. There's no war here. But there is a great big lake. He jumped up suddenly, running to the edge of the rock, letting out a warm, a warning whoop. He leapt off, dropping like a rock to land with a splash. Everyone cheered. Later that night, Abeni lay awake. <clears throat> Tutuo's words played in her head. His questions had made it seem like she was lying to the others. But they had their reasons for finding Asha's sister, and she had her own even if she hadn't told them exactly what those reasons were. Does it matter that you didn't tell Asha? She pushed the question away, turning to what else was said. Tutua was right. In the veil, there was no witch priest. It was certainly safer than trekking through a war. Maybe they could stay a bit longer. All wars had to end, didn't they? The thoughts followed her into sleep. When she opened her eyes again, she lay between familiar tall stalks of green that swayed and whispered beneath a blue sky. But this wasn't the veil. Turning her head, she found Asha lying awake beside her. You really like this dream, Abeni said. Asha grinned. You remember my garden better than I do. Abeni still hadn't become used to the girl entering her dreams. There was a rustling through the green stalks, and a tall figure appeared, casting a long shadow. With a crash, she fell to lie down beside them. Good to see you, Obi, Abeni greeted him. The straw man nodded. She wasn't certain if Obi truly existed here or if he was just another memory. Either way, she enjoyed his presence. Asha, do you like it in the veil? Yes, very much. Tutu is, Tutu is nice and Moshi leaves the best presents. Abeni smiled. The giant salamander had taken a liking to Asha and often left her gifts. Bits of fruit, pulled up flowers, and once a half-eaten fish. What if we stayed here a while longer, until things are safer? 
Then we can find your sister. Do you like that idea? Yes, it will be fun. And Benny bit her lip. Is that what we're meant to do then? Stay here? Asha shrugged. I don't know. Abani frowned. But you just said you'd like to stay. Yes, but I don't know if I should. The little girl pressed small hands to Abani's cheeks as she often liked to do. I'm not Auntie Asha anymore, she said. I want to do what's fun, even when I know there's important things that also need doing. Making grown-up decisions is hard. That's why I need a guardian. I'm not a grown-up, Abani protested. Asha smiled. But you're all I have, and I trust you. Those last words stung more than Abani had thought possible. The next morning, she gathered the others. She'd made a decision for herself and Asha, but she couldn't do so for them. Asha and I are going, she said. We can't stay here. No matter how nice it is or how safe, we have to find her sister. The two girls were quiet for a while before Naomi sighed. I'll come with you, she said. I don't like it where it's scary, but I do want to see my family again. Abeni turned to Zania, who gazed out at the veil. Staying here would be nice, but it feels too much like hiding. She turned to fix them with orange eyes. Panther spirits do not hide. So that was that then. They were going, all of them. Something about that felt right. When they told Tutuo, he looked disappointed, but only asked if they were certain. Abeni was as certain as she could be. The veil was beautiful and peaceful, but it wasn't where they were meant to be anymore. The small man spent the rest of the morning preparing their leave, filling the magic bag with bread jars of honey, fried yams, and more. They took a last swim in the lake, riding Moshi. Then, as the day waned, he showed them the way out. Getting into the veil is easy, he told them. Leaving is more complicated. He led them to a part of the veil they hadn't visited before, where leafy purple plants shaped like elephant ears and big enough to wrap around you grew in great bunches. Moshi pushed through them, leading the way. We won't go falling through the mud again, will we? Zania asked. Tutuo chuckled. No, just a door. But it can be difficult. A door, Abeni thought. Out here? And what did he mean by difficult? Before she could ask, Moshi pushed through a set of the giant leaves, bringing them to a clearing. In the green grass sat a door. That's a big door, Naomi whispered. Abeni agreed. It was the biggest door she'd ever seen. It towered high above and was wide enough for them all to walk through at once. The entire thing was made of black wood that glistened like stone. Intricate carvings ran across its length of people and animals or 
creatures she couldn't guess at, like one with the body of a monkey but the head of a crocodile. In the center of the door sat a giant carving of a face, its closed eyes reminding her of a sleeping man. Whose door is this? she asked. I don't know, Tutuo said, staring up at it. Zania's eyes narrowed. Who made it? Giants? I don't like giants, Tutuo shrugged. Don't know that either. It's just always been here. What are we supposed to do with it? Irene asked. What you do with any door. Walk through it. She thought of the many doors in Asha's house, but where does it go? Out, Tutuo said, though where that is depends on you. The door is the only way out of the veil, but it doesn't lead to any one place. I have brought others here, and the door has taken them to where they want to be, or perhaps where they need to be, or where they need to go. I can't say for certain, he patted the giant salamander. Moshi and I have never walked through it ourselves. Abeni looked to Asha, who was tracing her fingers along a carving. So how do we open the door, she asked. You said going through would be difficult. No, the man drew out the word. I said the door was difficult. She blinked. What did that mean? Her thoughts were interrupted by a loud yawning that made her jump. The giant face in the center of the door was moving, its mouth stretched wide. When it was done, the eyes on the face opened. What in day happened? A loud voice grumbled. Who is making all this noise? Carved pupils on the eyes shifted to look down. Tutu motioned for Abeni to speak. Greetings, uh, Dor. My friends and I would like to go through. Please? The face frowned down at her, then took in the others. A lost girl and three lost spirits, it huffed. All of you coming from different places, nobody knowing where you are going. Ah, Becky, no waste my time. The eyes began to close again. Tutu mouthed at her to keep talking. Great door, she called. We may be lost, but we know where we have to go. The eyes came open again, and the face regarded her sourly. Most don't know where they are going, it grumbled, or where they need to be. Your head's like all the rest, full of want, want, want. Go here, go there. The face pursed its lips at Asha. This one want to go see sister. The lips twisted to Naomi and Zania. These ones want to see family. And you? There was a considering pause as the lips fixed on a Benny. Now, wow. You want go do big things, big things, no be so? A Benny's heart skipped. It chuckled. Make I tell. Now her heart pounded. Tutuo had been right. This door was difficult, like Asha's pots. She was relieved when Zania stepped up to ask her own question. You can send us anywhere we want to go? 
The door rolled its eyes to the panther girl, seeming annoyed. Yes, yes, wheresoever you want to go. Then can you send us each where we want to different places? Foolish question, the door snapped. You come together, you leave the same, but it don't do. I say you all go the same place. I don't need anyone else deciding where I need to go, Zania argued. Eh, small cat go. Wake a plenty mouth. No vex me or make a go and you slap. Zania bristled. Try it. You don't even have arms. The door's face grew angry and it shook all over. The smaller carvings along its surface came suddenly to life, sticking out tongues, flicking tails, or shaking fists. Leave it to Zania to make a door mad. Tutuo quickly spoke up. She didn't mean offense, he turned to them. The door has its own rules. You'll have to follow them. Fine, Zania snapped. I'll tell you where we need to go. No, the door shouted. Its eyes landed on Abeni, and a mischievous look settled on its carved face. You all choose. They all had to say it together? Abeni glanced to Naomi, who looked nervous but nodded. Zania fell back, sulkily giving a curt nod. Asha simply smiled. Okay, they could do this. Gazing up at the door, she was opening her mouth when it cut her off. Listen well, it said. Choose carefully. What all of you speak by mouth, your head must also think. If the two no be the same, you go fit land anywhere. Abeni frowned, looking to Tutuo. Wherever the three of you tell the door you want to go, he explained, you have to want to go there. Truly, if there's another place in your thoughts, you might go there instead. You all will. Be like this thing don't happen to you, the Dorties. Maybe lucky day on your side this time, eh? Abeni was puzzled. Someplace else? They'd all agreed they would be going to see Asha's sister. Where else was there? All at once, Zania's question struck her. This door could take them anywhere. It could take her back to Asha's house. It could take her back to her village. Or it could take her to where her village had gone. Through this door, she could find her family. Or she could go to her friend's. It was all here, everything she wanted. The door gave a low laugh. <laughs> so many choices. Abeni felt a moment of panic. Her mouth wanted to say one thing, but her mind jumped from place to place. She saw herself finding Asha's sister. Next, she was on a ghost ship fighting wraiths to free her village. Or she was finding her friends and leading them to safety. All of it swirled in her head and she found it hard to talk. The door tisked. Yeah, small girl. We no know where she want to go. Chicken way run from one house, go next house, go still end up inside pot of soup. 
What? she asked. The door rolled its eyes. The chicken running this way and that is going to end up in hot water no matter where it runs to. Same way your destiny will find you no matter how you choose, spirit guardian. Um, Naomi asked, why are we talking about chickens? I have no idea, Zania muttered. Must be a mortal thing. She looked up to the door. I wish to go find the spirit sister so she may help me find my sisters. I also want to find her sister, Naomi piped up, to find my family. And I want to go and see my sister, Asha added joyfully. Everyone turned then to Abeni. She opened her mouth to speak, but found she couldn't. Her mind swam, going everywhere at once. Ghost ships, storm women, a man in a mask of goat horns, her friends, her family, so many places to go. What if she spoke one thing, but was thinking something else? What if she took them all somewhere else? What if Abeni, she looked to Asha, who regarded her with calm, dark eyes. Just choose. You know where we all must go. You know where we all must be. Something in the small girl's voice made the swirling thoughts and Abeni's head go still. Finally, she could see clearly the one she wanted. Closing her eyes, she welcomed the quiet and chose. Benny sharing her oriki, her story, her song, did lead them to a new door. It helped to have the conversation between her and Tutuo open up in ways that wouldn't have been open if she hadn't shared her story. And it helped him to understand her as the other mortal there and got her to thinking his questioning their conversation got her thinking about you know what they should be doing what's the right thing for them and so yeah it got them moving and um I kind of knew that Naomi and Zania wouldn't just stay there without Abani. But if Abani and Asha decided to stay there, then they would. Thing is, Abani is a, a, the leader. Even though she's not a spirit, she's still leading them because each one of the spirits is cool, you know, being who they are. Um, but it's taking her mortal reasoning um, and thought processes to say okay and in her sense of time as well too because spirits live lives for centuries so they got time they're going to eventually catch up back back up with their family at some point or another so they got time in ways that she doesn't because she is immortal and then she also has the responsibility of being Asha's guardian little girl Asha's guardian and um 
Yeah, so she takes that responsibility, you know, on. The morning of the fifth day, she announces Asha and I leaving, you know, then they go. So I love the fact that um, Naomi and Zania are going to join them. So then they get to this door. <laughs> Got to be difficult. But yeah, life's, life is challenging. Some doors are going to be easier to walk through than others. We all know that. Whatever age we are, whatever stage we are, some doors are easier to walk through than others. Some are going to challenge us. And I love the fact that it brought up the importance of mental well-being. At the moment when the door asked her and her mind was racing through all these anxious thoughts and just scattered, mental unwellness can happen to anyone. But with the support that she has around her, specifically her close tie to Asha, she was able to regulate her emotions, get grounded and centered in herself and what her purpose was and what their destination needed to be. Yeah. Until next chapter.